Welcome. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for Food and Stuff. My name is Gretchen Miller. Today I'm going to try to bring you through an evening meal. These may or may not go together, but I thought I'd start with um, an appetizer and move on from there. From Goop.com, we've got tomato and mint dolma, or yaprik sarma. This makes 30 to 35 dolmas, serves six as part of a medse. Tip, this is a great cooking project to do with friends. In my many years of eating stuffed grape leaves, this Cypriot version made with plum tomatoes and spearmint may be my favorite. Don't be put off by the physical task of stuffing and rolling, as these are relatively straightforward to make, and the process has a meditative quality too, so I recommend making a batch during times of stress. I made them repeatedly in the first weeks of COVID-19 lockdown, but that's another story. I didn't grow up learning how to make stuffed grape leaves, so used to find them a bit intimidating. Thankfully, during the course of writing this book, I think I've finally cracked it. The tricks are to not overfill the leaves, to roll them tightly, and to approach each one with utter confidence. I was shown how to make these with yoga teacher C.J. Yelkin, sorry, C.J., if I'm pronouncing that incorrectly, and her grandmother, Nahide Koskeroglu, we stuffed half the mixture into zucchini flowers, and if you ever get the opportunity to use some, I highly recommend it. Otherwise, you can find brine grape leaves in just about any Middle Eastern or Mediterranean store. This recipe makes 30 to 35 dolma, depending on the size of the leaves, and I like to serve it with thick, plain yogurt on the side. The dolma keep well in the refrigerator for about three days in a covered container. I often warm them up in a saucepan with a drop of water to take the chill off them if they've been refrigerated. Yasmin Khan. So first you're going to need for the dolma, one cup of Turkish baldo rice or kalros. You can also use basmati. One small white onion grated about seven ounces. One and a quarter cups of canned whole peeled tomatoes, very finely chopped or blitzed in a food processor. One tablespoon of tomato paste. One tablespoon of dried mint. One half teaspoon of ground cinnamon. Two tablespoons of finely chopped mint leaves. Three tablespoons of finely chopped parsley leaves. One tablespoon of lemon juice. Five tablespoons of extra virgin olive oil, plus more to drizzle. And one package or jar of brined grape leaves. And salt and pepper. For the broth, you'll need one tablespoon of tomato paste, one cup of cold water, full fat strained plain yogurt to serve. First, you're going to place all of the ingredients for the filling in a large bowl with one and a quarter teaspoon of salt and one half teaspoon of black pepper and mix well. Next, you're gonna place 35 grape leaves in a large saucepan filled with just boiled water. Simmer for five minutes over medium heat, then refresh under cold water. Lay a grape leaf on a plate with the vein side up, snap off any stalks, and smooth it out. Then, depending on the size of the leaf, place one and a half to three teaspoons of the filling at the bottom and mold it into a rectangle horizontal to you. 
deftly and firmly roll the grape leaf over the stuffing, tucking the side flaps inward as you do so to ensure that it's sealed at both ends and will prevent the parcel from opening while cooking. The juice will run out as you squeeze them, but that doesn't matter. Just collect it in a cup and add it to the cooking pan later. Place the dolma in a large, shallow saucepan as you roll them and continue stuffing the leaves until all the filling has been used up. Don't worry if your dolma aren't a uniform shape or look a bit small. They will plump up after cooking and even out. Once all the stuffed leaves are in the pan, mix the tomato paste and water and pour it over the dolma. Drizzle with another two tablespoons of olive oil, then place a dinner plate on top of the leaves to cover them and press them down. Place the lid on the saucepan and set it over medium heat for a few minutes until the water comes to a boil. You can lift the plate to check underneath. Then decrease the heat to low and simmer for about 45 minutes. Check a dolma to see if the rice is cooked. If the rice is still a little firm or the water has all evaporated, add another seven tablespoons or so of water, cover and cook for another 10 minutes. If there is still broth in the pan, the dolma will soak it up as they cool. Once ready, let cool in the pan for at least 15 minutes before serving. I personally prefer to give them longer until they come to room temperature and always accompany them with thick yogurt on the side. This is reprinted from Ripe Figs, Recipes and Stories from Turkey, Greece, and Cyprus. So that's our first part. That's our appetizer. We're going to jump next to what could be dinner. And this is also from goop.com. Crispy chicken cutlets with fennel, apple, and cabbage slaw. Thanks to some grain-free breadcrumb innovation, chicken cutlets can now be enjoyed during our annual reset. We like to pound them thin so they're extra tender and cook quickly, requiring less time in the oil. A bright and crunchy fennel and cabbage slaw is a nice foil to the richness of the cutlet and the garlicky mustard aioli. For this, you're going to need, it serves two, you'll need one large chicken breast sliced into two thin cutlets, two tablespoons of arrowroot powder, one half cup of water, two tablespoons of grainy mustard, and kosher salt. Two cups of grain-free breadcrumbs. We like the pea protein ones from Langevay, but if you can't find them, you can make chickpea breadcrumbs by blitzing crunchy salted chickpeas in a food processor until they get to a crumb-like texture. Avocado oil, lemon wedges for serving. And for the mustard aioli, you'll need a quarter cup of soy-free veganaise, one half clove of garlic grated, one tablespoon of grainy mustard, and juice of one half lemon. For the slaw, you'll need one cup of shredded green cabbage, one half bulb of fennel thinly sliced on a mandolin, one half of a Granny Smith apple sliced into matchsticks, two stalks of celery thinly sliced on a mandolin, and one half of a small shallot thinly sliced on a mandolin, and and it might be mandolin. I should probably look that up, but I call I say mandolin. Uh, juice of a half a lemon, one tablespoon of apple cider vinegar, two teaspoons of extra virgin olive oil, and kosher salt. First, you're going to pound those chicken uh, cutlets out so they're really thin. 
about a quarter inch thick at the most, and then place each cutlet between two pieces of plastic wrap or parchment paper, then pound them out with a meat mallet, rolling pin, or the bottom of a frying pan. You could get some good anger out on this episode, on this. I like to store my anger for doing dishes, but you could do it here too. Get that used up. Next, prepare two bowls for dredging. In one bowl, com- combine the arrowroot powder, water, mustard, and a generous pinch of salt. Whisk until well combined. And then in the other bowl, add the breadcrumbs and another generous pinch of salt. Coat each cutlet in the liquid mixture, turning it a few times to make sure it's fully covered. Then do the same in the breadcrumbs, really pressing the cutlet into the crumbs to make sure they stick and the cutlet is well coated. Place the cutlets on a parchment paper lined sheet pan and chill in the fridge for about 30 minutes. This will help the coating stay put when you fry. While the cutlets chill, prepare the aioli. You're going to combine all the ingredients in a ramekin and mix well. To assemble the slaw, combine the cabbage, fennel, apple, celery, and shallot in a bowl. Set aside and toss with the lemon juice, apple cider vinegar, olive oil, and a pinch of salt just before serving. After 30 minutes, the cutlets are ready to fry. Heat a wide, heavy-bottomed skillet over medium-high heat, and then add a couple tablespoons of avocado oil, enough to coat the pan. Then you're going to add the cutlets to the frying pan and cook for about three to five minutes on each side until golden, and then finish with another sprinkle of salt. Serve the chicken alongside the mustard aioli, slaw, and lemon wedge. This was originally featured in the annual New Year Detox 2022 edition. So I think that sounds pretty yummy, because as being a gluten-free person, that's something I couldn't normally eat, but that sounds pretty good. So for desserts, I'm really torn. We're going to start with the apple cranberry crisp, because uh, apple crisp is just one of my favorite things. Um, This is probably not gluten-free, but could probably be substituted with um, gluten-free flour. This one is from smittenkitchen.com. It's been over a year since I sounded off about my mild irritation with Michael Chirello. Salient takeaways included that I found him fussy and often in excessive use of needlessly pretentious ingredients, and I've spent most of it feeling bad about it. I mean, he cooks honestly. He uses as good ingredients as he gets his hands on, and he's not afraid of adapting old standbys to make them more feasible for entertaining. These are all good things. I will not now, nor ever abide, throwing fistfuls of carefully cultivated gray salt into boiling pots of pasta water, but I'd rather pay attention to someone who cares enough about the nuance and flavor that they create than someone who acts like it doesn't exist. Unfortunately, we've had another setback. A significant one, so one so bad that I've had to something that crushes my spirit and raises my shackles and throw the entire dish in the garbage. And the error was so easily avoidable. I just can't let go. I hate throwing away food. Doubles for me. This apple cranberry crisp with polenta streusel is aggressively, aggressively, inedibly, and teeth achingly sweet. When I saw the amount of sugar required, my eyebrow arched, but I remembered how much sugar is needed to make even a tart cranberry sauce and forged ahead with Chiarello's instructions. 
Oh, how I wish I could hit the do-over button now because the flavor of this crisp is stupendous. Lemon, orange, cinnamon, and the slightest edge of pepper nestle against apples and cranberries in a dish that would be welcome at any winter dinner party. But I'd use a heck of a lot of sugar. I'm sorry, I'd use a heck of a lot less sugar next time. I've been pondering for a few days now whether the sugar needs to be halved or just two-thirded. And well, I can't tell you with any authority because I haven't remade it yet. When I do, I will have it first, but I'd rather have too little sugar um, than any memory of too much. But if you're nervous and are willing to risk a little extra sweetness, try knocking down the sugar by just a third of a cup. Whatever you do, I'd love it if you can report back to us. It will likely be weeks or months before I get to this again and wouldn't want others to miss out on your helpful input. It's a good recipe. It just needs a major adjustment of one ingredient. Oh, and why, pray tell, am I weeks away from getting back to this recipe? Because I am leaving this town with the sleet sliding down the windows and the ankle-deep slush just waiting for my defiantly stilettoed feet to mistake it for solid ground, and I'm taking Alex with me. We're going to Aruba, baby, and we're not going to be back for a week. But what is this? Don't be sad, because I am such a doting and dedica dedicated food blogger. I have been furtively stashing cookie recipes for weeks that I could share with you in my absence. Four, in fact. So never mind the fact that I'll be wasting away in Margaritaville while you're searching for your long-lost layer of Gore-Tex. I leave you with my four of my favorite cookie efforts to date, just in time for your holiday bake fest. I might be a little absent from answering questions in the comments after Saturday, but I'll make every effort to get to all of them when I return a week later. So here's the recipe for apple cranberry crisp with polenta streusel topping. Adapted from Michael Chirello from Via Bon Appetit. This was December of 2007 when this was printed there. For the topping, you need one teaspoon of anise seed, one and a half cups of pastry flour, three quarters cups of polenta or coarse cornmeal, one half cup sugar, one and a half teaspoons of baking powder, one quarter teaspoon salt, one half stick or cup, which is one stick of chilled unsalted butter cut into one half inch cubes, one large egg beaten to blend for the filling, two cups of fresh cranberries, white sugar. Original recipe calls for two-thirds cup. I'd suggest one-third cup or omitting it entirely. Two-thirds cup of packed golden brown sugar. Two teaspoons of finely grated lemon peel. One and a half teaspoons of finely grated orange peel. One teaspoon of ground cinnamon. One half teaspoon salt. One quarter teaspoon of freshly ground black pepper. Two pounds of Granny Smith apples peeled cored and cut into one inch cubes, two tablespoons of fresh lemon juice and vanilla gelato or ice cream. For the topping, toast the aniseed in a small skillet over medium heat until slightly darker in color, about three minutes. Place seeds in a processor, add the next five ingredients, blend five seconds. Add butter, blend using on and off turns until the mixture resembles coarse crumbs. Transfer the mixture to a large bowl and drizzle egg over and stir until ingredients are evenly moistened. For the filling, preheat the oven to 375 degrees Fahrenheit and combine the first eight ingredients in a large bowl. 
stir to blend, and then add apples and lemon juice and toss to blend. Transfer the filling to a 11 by 7 by 2 inch glass baking dish or other shallow two quart baking dish. Crumble the topping finely over the filling and bake dessert until apples are tender, juices bubble thickly, and the topping is crisp and golden. It'll be about one hour and then cool for 15 minutes and serve crisp warm with gelato. Ugh, I have not had apple crisp for so many years because I've been gluten-free for so long and that sounds really good and I think I can change the recipe to make it gluten-free. So I'll report back if I do. So we've had dessert and I found this recipe for Jim Leahy's potato pizza on smittenkitchen.com. It sounds really interesting. I think this could be an anytime meal, whether it's dinner, a snack, after dinner, if you're still hungry. It sounds really interesting. Um, note this recipe got a refresh and several simplifications in 2016. Although I keep repeating to myself, I am not obsessed with Jim Leahy. I am not obsessed with Jim Leahy. The fact is most evidence these days points to the contrary. First, there was his no-knead bread. And it's not just me, given the fact that nearly two years later, not a week goes by when I do see a food blog creatively hatching a new delicious adaptation of it. It continued in the back of the cab a few months ago, where he so deftly showed off his pizza Bianca for the cameras. It took restraint not to ask the driver to turn around and take me to the Sullivan Street Bakery stat. Once my hunt for his written recipe began, I unearthed all sorts of additional goodies, including the fact that he was opening a pizza place in my neighborhood, still plywooded after all these months, I wait and sigh, and that he wishes to throw down the tomato and mozzarella hegemony in U.S. pizza, as tomatoes are not even indigenous to Italy, replacing it with what New York Magazine described as a frilly radicchio number with red onion, chilies, and three cheeses, cheeses that looks like a nest built by a slightly deranged bird. And a seasonal zucchini blossom one. And I'm sorry, what was I talking about again? Ugh, I can't talk. I'm just drooling. Right. So among all the things I learned while learning the, all that I could about Jim Leahy, stalking was crossed out there. There was one that, and it had a, if it had a soundtrack, it would have been that of a needle being torn across a record or a harried reporter yelling, stop the presses, Jim Leahy's potato pizza. Problem was, I found this recipe only a day before we went on vacation, and there was no possible way to squeeze it in in that short span of time, otherwise devoted to packing and errands. I briefly considered canceling vacation until Alex once again talked me down from my crazy ledge, temporarily at least. Shortly after we returned, however, I made the most auspicious discovery. The Whole Foods by us was now selling slices of Jim Leahy's Pizza Bianca just like that, there before my very eyes the whole time. We brought home some and popped it in the oven until toasty and, oh, people... It is just heaven on a piece of flatbread. It could be the glint in the Mona Lisa's eye. I know why birds sing, and it was clearly time to make my own. 
Unfortunately, the recipe I'd found on Martha Stewart's site is riddled with errors. The water level would make batter, not dough. It doesn't mention the second bread rise. It seems to think that there's just one tablespoon of chopped onion on more than two feet of pizza, something my many sample slices have clearly shown otherwise. And it seems to think that you can bake a one half inch thick pizza at 440 degrees for 30 minutes and remove anything other than a burnt cracker. With all of these adjustments, some I figured out as I went along, we did enjoy the results, especially with a sharp arugula salad on the side, but it just did not live up to the original. Not that it could, what with the birds singing and Mona Lisa smiling. It might take some more tweaking to get it right. What a bummer, huh? But, ah, uh, more potato pizza. Life is just so unfair. Here's the recipe. <laughs> this makes two 8-inch pizzas or one 14-inch pizza. You'll need three cups of all-purpose flour, one and a half teaspoons of salt, three-quarters teaspoon of sugar, one cup of cold water, olive oil for bowl and pans, one teaspoon of instant dry yeast, two potatoes thinly sliced, about two cups. I used Yukon Golds, and I believe this is what Leahy uses as well. One half of an onion diced into one quarter to one half inch pieces. Four tablespoons of extra virgin olive oil and fresh rosemary, which is optional. First, you're going to combine the flour, one half teaspoon of salt, sugar, and the yeast in the bowl of an electric mixer and slowly add one cup of cold water. Mix on low speed until the ingredients begin to combine and then switch to a dough hook and continue to mix for about 10 minutes until the dough is smooth and elastic and cleanly pulls away from the sides of the mixing bowl. Two, place the dough in an oiled bowl and allow to rest for two to four hours until it has doubled in size. Split the dough into halves and form each into a log. Press each log on it on a generously floured surface and allow it to rest until the formed dough doubles in size again at least one hour. While the dough rises for the second time, repair the potato topping. Slice potatoes very thin using a knife or a mandoline. Then soak them in several changes of ice water to remove excess starch and prevent discoloration. Drain the slices in a colander and toss with one half teaspoon of salt and set aside for 10 minutes. Drain any accumulated water and then in a medium bowl, combine potatoes, onions, and one tablespoon of olive oil and set aside. Preheat the oven to 450 degrees Prepare two rimmed baking sheets with vegetable oil. Divide the dough in half. Place each piece on its own baking sheet. And then using the palms of your hands, flatten the dough out to the edges of the pan. Evenly spread potatoes over the surface of the dough up to the very edge or about one inch from the edge if you desire a crust on your pizza. Season with remaining one half teaspoon salt and the remaining three tablespoons of olive oil and sprinkle with rosemary if you're using. Last, bake the potato pizza till it has shrunk away from the edges of a pan and the bottom is golden brown. It'll take about 20 minutes. Remove from the oven and allow it to cool slightly. Slice into pieces and serve. Potato pizza is also delicious served at room temperature. Thank you for joining us for Food and Stuff. My name is Gretchen Miller.